got a bit of static going on here. I'll just be one minute. Speaking of static, I'm ecstatic to be up here and see everyone. It's so good to, to be here and to be speaking again. Do you know, we, my, hope, my title this morning is Hope Reframed or Reframing Hope. And hope is something that we all need, especially with what's going on in the world at the moment. But we sang a song. I thought you, the, thank you for putting together the, the, the songs, Lindsay. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, rain came, wind blew, my house was built on you, I'm going to make it through, I'm getting stronger. And that's incredible because I'm speaking this morning on getting stronger in Jesus. How do we navigate times of uncertainty? There's war, there's rumours of war, there's a cost of, lit- cost of living crisis, so we're told and experiencing there's heating or eating, and there's strikes much to my dismay and heart sinking, and the kids are going, yeah, we're off again. It goes on and on, and so could the list. And it seems like the last three years, in some ways, have been unrelenting. Do you know, it's one thing to choose what you go through, but it's another thing when it chooses you. And Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message Bible paraphrase, writes a foreword to the church in Thessalonians. And what struck me was, this church too were facing turbulent and unpredictable times. And Eugene, when he introduces this book at the very start of um, Thessalonians, he writes, the way we conceive the future sculpts the present, gives contour and tone to nearly every action and thought through the day. If our sense of future is weak, we live listlessly. Much emotional and mental illness and most suicides occur among men and women who feel that they have no hope. This drew my attention. If the future becomes a bit blurred, we can live with a sense of apathy. And I wonder what it looks like to live listlessly. And more importantly, I wonder what it looks like to overcome that. Paul speaks to the church in Thessalonians and reminds them that they are sons of the light and daughters of the day. In 1 Thessalonians 5.5, he reminds us that we're not sleeping. We're fully awake. In other words, we're not listless. We're fully alive. It's a reminder. And he associates it with a concept that we know, and it's called hope. Paul writes the letter to the Thessalonians to build hope in their lives. And I think sometimes the challenge is we think hope is a concept to be expressed. Rather, Paul says it's a practice to be experienced. He reminds us to build up hope. And when I think of building, I think it's a verb. It's it's an active word, something that we do actively. What if we could build up hope? What if we could cultivate hope? What if there are simple ways you and I can build our hope? We're not those who have fallen asleep, especially at this time. We're fully awake and fully alive. Mel Thompson, are you fully awake? Are you fully alive? (laughs) I just saw her with her head down. I thought, I'm going to get her. When the Jewish people went to worship in Jerusalem, they would enter from the east and go to the temple and encounter God and would leave from the west gate. What I love about that thought is the way they went in wasn't the way they left. And I really believe this morning, as we encounter God in his word, that as we leave, we won't be the same as when we arrived. And that is what hope signifies for me. Because hope, more than a principle, hope is a name, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus, in a moment, can transform us. He can move us. He can shift something. God's word can do something so powerful. 
The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the rock. He's the capstone and the cornerstone. And devotion for Jesus is the foundation, church. He is our foundation. It's childlike faith and trust in the Jesus of the cross. Devotion to the water walker. Devotion to the miracle worker. Devotion to the one who did what his father did and said. It's all about Jesus. So hope is more than just a principle, and his name is Jesus. You know, Jesus changes us. So this morning, can we open our hearts? We can hold on despite uncertainty because we have hope, and I'm so grateful. We can think, I'm not sure what 2023 is going to look like. Hold on, we still have hope. Say it with me. Say, hold on, we still have hope. Do you know, someone, thank you, someone said it like this. You can go a week without food. You can go a couple of days without water. You can go a couple of minutes without air. But you can't go a second without hope. And that's why hope is so important for us. It's not just about a preferable future. Because if we truly understand hope, hope is a better future. But it transforms my present right now. And that means today. God is here right now, and I know it, because as I was preparing this, hope was rising up inside me. Everything around you, God has ordained. And that might not make sense to some of us if we're going through something or we don't understand it. But God is in this moment, and he wants to speak to us. He wants to remind you, the church, that he loves you, and he knows you, and he has a future for you. And in spite of what you can't see, he's very present with you. He can move today. And I want to speak today from 1 Thessalonians. Paul wrote this book to a church, and this church had almost, in a sense, fallen asleep. And I don't know about you, but in recent months, maybe my dream world has been better than my real world. A world where a smart reader doesn't read 12 or 13 pounds per day, where people are tolerant of each other, where food prices are stable, where you can actually get food, (laughs) back to 2019 time, to the familiar, to the way it was. But the challenge with that is it absolves us from all reality. And God's kind. He's here. He's in our present right here. And the church in Thessalonians had fallen asleep. They'd wanted to pull back and escape. But God said, don't escape. Encounter me, because when you encounter me, you can change. We can change in his presence. We can find hope again, church. You know, we we talk a lot about faith and love. What about hope? We can say faith, 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 and love, love, love. But hope isn't forgotten. Hope isn't psychological or a concept over there. What if it was something powerful inside me? What if I could fortify myself with the word of God and renew hope and reframe it again with Jesus in the center of that frame? What if hope wasn't a principle to be expressed, but rather a con, but a practice to be downloaded? What if it wasn't a con, sorry, a practice to be experienced? What if hope wasn't a concept to be downloaded, but a practice to be developed in my life? What if hope was that? What if we could all leave here today with fresh hope and fresh courage? Because I need it so much. I want to read... Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 to 11, reading from the message. It says, but friends, you're not in the dark, so how could you be taken off guard by any of this? You're sons of light and daughters of day. 
You will live under wide open skies and know where we stand. So let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us, since we're creatures of day. Let's, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. That's the truth. Whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we're alive with him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know you're already doing this, just keep on doing it. The people were a bit rattled. Their faith was fading, they felt shaky. Circumstances had changed. They were questioning, is Jesus coming back? Is there hope coming? They were scattered because of persecution. They were in this place and they felt alone. God had done something in them, but they felt alone in their city. Paul writes, he says, you're not alone. You're not in the dark where you think you might be. I love this. He says, you're sons of light and daughters of day. God did it to Jesus. Jesus did it to his disciples. And Paul does it to us as the church. He reminds us of our identity straight up. You're son of the light. You're a daughter of the day. And we live under wide open skies and know where we stand. Know where we stand. Let's remind ourselves of where we stand. When God tells us to know where we stand, it's to remind ourselves of what we do have and what we need more of. And I think God wants to take a moment to remind us of the hope that we do have. Sometimes or often, we can look around at what we don't have and compare it to what, compare it to what others have. They've got that gift. They've got this. How, how come God, look at them. How come God touched them but he didn't touch me? But God wants to remind you, it's not about what you don't have. It's what you do have and what you have access to more of. When I was saying this, I had to think, come on, Jill, it's what you've got access to more of. Know where we stand. And that might be the most powerful thing God says to you today. Know where you stand and know what you do have. It's not what we feel like. It's about what I know. There's times I read my Bible and, and I say, God, I don't feel strong. I don't feel like being that, that wife or that mom today. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like I'm getting stronger. But he whispers in my ear and reminds me, it's not about feeling stronger, it's what you know. And every time you, you help someone else and every time I pray and every time I read my Bible and worship, you know what I'm doing? I'm getting stronger. You're getting stronger, church. We sang that earlier. We're getting stronger. It's what you... Sorry, you might not feel it, but spiritual maturity is not about how you feel. It's about who you know. So know where you stand. <clears throat> And it tells us in verse 9 that God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. Do you know, God didn't come to scare you. He came to prepare you. He came to prepare us. He died for us, and he died a death that triggered life. No one left behind. Paul says, I want you to build up hope. And my message title this morning is Hope Reframed. This illustration that I'm about to share spoke to my heart a lot. In the 1940s, there was a famous art critic called Robert Cumming, and he was standing in an art gallery in London and was looking at a, paint, a painting by a famous Italian painter called Filippino Lippi. 
He looked, and it was a painting of Mary holding Jesus with two saints. He stood there, and he was puzzled by the painting. It had been painted in the 15th century and had hung for three centuries in an art gallery in London. And he wasn't the only one who was puzzled by it. For centuries, people had walked past wondering, what was the painter thinking? And you couldn't doubt its colour and composition, but proportionally, it didn't make sense. The background disappeared, and it seemed felt like the saints were falling over Mary. Robert Cumming was confused by it as he looked at it. But then suddenly, he had a revelation. The problem wasn't with the artist or with the painting. The problem was with him. And with that, he fell to his knees. And suddenly, the painting came into proportion. The background came into the foreground, and the saints stood out. Suddenly, he saw its beauty like he never had before. And he realized that Filippino Lippi hadn't designed this painting for an art gallery, but a place of prayer. It was always meant to be looked at from his knees. And maybe, just maybe, there has never been anything wrong, set, wrong with the concept of hope or with the artist who made hope. Maybe it lies in the eyes of the beholder. Maybe we've never seen it like that before. Today, let's look up. Let's get on our knees and look up, because when we do that, it will reframe hope like never before. So how do we reframe hope? I want to talk about two things today. Firstly, the reality of hope, and then how we build it. How do we face the reality of what hope is, and how do we build it? How do we build it up? Firstly, the reality of hope. It's a word we use a lot. We use it without even realizing it. Hope you have a great day. Hope you have a good birthday. I hope she likes me. It's a word that we use quite flippantly. But to describe the reality of hope, we need to know what hope isn't. And hope isn't optimism. Optimism says it's going to be fine. The challenge with optimism is it, it doesn't face reality. It's like having water in a glass and saying it's the best Diet Coke ever, which it was. But you can't change the world with optimism. Optimism only works over things I can control. And I think sometimes we think, um, we think hope is optimism. But the Bible, it gives us understanding of what real hope is. Real hope is different to wishful hope. Wishful hope is when we're running late and hope all the roads are quiet and the traffic lights are green. That's wishful thinking. And we don't want surface level hope. There's also an expectant level hope. If I sow sunflower seeds in the ground, I'll expect to see sunflowers. Sometimes we're in Scotland, the weather is bad, which affects the seeds or the ground could be diseased. It's an expectant hope because we expect to see something happen. But we know it, 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 sometimes it doesn't happen and the sunflowers haven't grown as we expected. But I want to talk about a real hope, a certain hope that comes from the Bible. And Hebrews 6 uh, tells us we have a certain hope. Hebrews 6, 19. This, this hope is described as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul that fixes itself in the solid reality of God's presence. This hope is strong and trustworthy. This hope is sufficient. It's dependable. And that means we can count on it. This is the hope that God talks about. And it's an anchor. An anchor stops you from drifting and it keeps you stable in a storm. That's why we need to understand what hope is. We need two things in our lives. We need not to drift and we need to be kept stable in a storm. And hope is not what you wish for. It's based on God's word, which is the same yesterday, today and forever. 
you know, business, success, even wisdom, they pale into insignificance of what anchors you. Do you know what anchors us? It's hope and real hope. It comes from God. Can we be hope realists? Yes, it's dark around us, but we can hold on because we have hope. Real hope looks like, yes, it's rotten and it's not looking good, but I believe God is coming through for me. I believe I'm a son of the light and a daughter of the day. I believe God is for me. I believe that he loves me. I believe that he's poured out his mercy over me. And I believe my past is forgiven. Do you know, hope might not be able to change my broken past, but it can definitely shape my better future. So how do we get the reality of hope? It's a good question. Sometimes it can feel like hope is over there, that it's unreachable and I can't grab it. Hope doesn't have a substance, but I want to put substance to hope today. Paul goes on to write in 1 Thessalonians 5:16, be cheerful no matter what, pray all the time, thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. And that is how you build up hope. Paul's putting a handle on hope. He's given us and showing us what hope behaves like, and it's beautiful. What does hope behave like? If we know how it behaves, then maybe we can just do it. Be cheerful no matter what, pray all the time, thank God no matter what happens, and that's a challenge. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. And I want to pick one today. It's important we understand this. Do you know why? Because sometimes we think hope has to do with belief. But what does it look like to behave? How does hope behave? You know, we, we like principles, but practice, no thanks. We like to learn, we like principles, but what do we apply? What can we stop doing and what can we start doing? Let's not get stuck, church. Paul says you can believe it, but this is how you build it. And he gives us some practices to do. Let's talk about prayer for a minute and why prayer can change our future. What if the prayers you pray could change your future? Paul tells us this is how we're going to build up hope when we practice prayer. So if you're taking notes, this is a brief point number one. Number one, God doesn't invade your life. You need to invite him in. Revelation 3.20 says, look, here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in and share a meal as friends. We have to open the door. He's knocking. Invite him in. We're inviting in the Ancient of Days, the King of Glory. Invite him in. Do you know, Jesus was a carpenter, and when he comes in, he's going to build something so beautiful in our lives that we'll hardly comprehend it. He'll change our rundown house into a mansion. Let's allow him in and let's give him access. Invite him in. Only you can do that. Invite him in. And this phone here, this phone's got a lot of potential and power and it can access the world, but its power is only dependent on the power source it's connected to. This phone is a paperweight without the power source. It can't achieve anything without the power, without the power connection, without the power source in its life. How often do you charge your phone? Probably daily, twice a day, five times a day if you're my boys. <laughs> Some people walk around with batteries to keep their phones connected because they realize the importance of it. Friends, we have an opportunity daily and throughout the day to invite the King of Kings into our lives. 
Invite him in. When you're connected to the power source, it's going to change your life forever. And the second point is we can, we can communicate with God. Communication is two-way. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's not just talking. It's us listening. It's saying, God, I'm listening to you. I desire your voice in my life. It's my lifeline. Speak to me, Jesus. It's not about a monologue and what I have to say. It's a dialogue and it's listening. When we listen to the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. When we don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom, as we're told in James. See, when we ask, we'll listen. And when we listen, we'll see it how God sees it. And when we see it how God sees it, it will change our lives. When we see it how God sees it, it changes everything. We see from a new vantage point and from his perspective. So it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And he doesn't invade, invite him in today. And lastly, the third point, prayer is not a wish list, it's a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. The Bible says in James, the prayer of a righteous man. It doesn't say a perfect man or a, I've got it all together man, but a righteous man is powerful and effective or it availeth much. You know, we're righteous. That means we're in right standing with God because of what Jesus did for you and I. He declares you and I righteous. And this means that our prayer has great power. There's a weapon I can use, a weapon to change my future, and it's called prayer. A weapon to bind what the devil has set out for me to do and to loose God's love over our lives. He said, you've been given all authority and the language God uses in being given the authority is loose and bind. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. We have the power within our means as a weapon to say I bind confusion in my home and I loose clarity in the name of Jesus. I bind anxiety and loose God's peace over Dunfermline in Jesus' name. And that church is the power of prayer. It's not a wish list. It's a weapon in our hands. Keep it sharp. Paul says this is how you build up hope. We come before God and we say, God, I invite you in. I need your wisdom, but thank you for the power you've given me to change what I never could have. And when we pray with hope in our hearts, we can change our future. You might not, as I've said, you might not be able to change your broken past, but today and forever we can change our futures because of the prayers we pray. And prayer is not fancy. It's not fancy, eloquent words. <clears throat> prayer is not about the volume that we give to our words or the veracity we give to our words. It's about who is praying with us and who is beside us. It's about who is for us and he's here today. And as we close in hope, I love this scripture in Romans 15, verse 13. It says, so I pray that God, who gives you hope, will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. May you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the God of hope. He says, I am the God of hope that gives you joy and peace to trust Jesus. And you can trust Jesus with your life, with all your situations. He's in every one of them, and he's walking right beside us. And I believe the God of hope is here today. The God of hope is the one who went and did what we could never do. He went up on the cross of Calvary. Hope went up. Hope achieved what we could never achieve. And Jesus paid the price for our sin on that cross, and he made us right with God. Hope didn't wait for us to get victory, because we'd be waiting forever. He got victory for you and I. 
He died um, for us so that we could have new life and resurrected life. His purpose is to give life in all its fullness so we can experience his love and his grace and his mercy, full and abundant life right here, right now. Church, let's reframe hope this morning and remember that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. So in, in a minute, I'm go, we're going to, Lindsay's going to put a song on or Clara's going to put a song on, but I just want to pray for us, just if we can close our eyes just now. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you know what we need. You know who we need. And our future is bright and filled with living hope. You, God, are our living hope. Help us to reframe hope again. It's not just about a God-breathed future. It's about a God-breathed and hope-filled present. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are in us, you're with us, and you're for us, Lord Jesus, and you're walking with us. Would you fortify our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus? Go before us, Lord God, and just lift our heads, Jesus, and let us look up again, Father God, and see you, God. See it as you see it, Father. What he has planted inside of you, church, isn't dead. It just needs time and water, and sometimes even some darkness. Plants grow in the, in, the, in the dark, in the deep. You haven't been buried, you've been planted. Water those seeds with God's work, with God's word, and look up and reframe hope once again.